as we prepare our hearts to share in the Lord's table together in just a few moments, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn along with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. The message of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than, better than, all else. Jesus is greater than angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the Old Covenant. And tonight we're going to see that Jesus is both a greater priest and a greater sacrifice than anything the law of Moses ever had to offer. Jesus is, in fact, the great fulfillment of what the law of Moses merely foreshadowed. Jesus is greater. The irony of Good Friday is that Jesus' greatness was proven, displayed, and forever cemented into history through the cross. The moment which seemed to be Jesus' hour of greatest shame and defeat was, in fact, the hour of his glory. As he who knew no sin for us became sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Hebrews 10 then teaches us that while the sacrifices and priesthood of the Old Covenant were temporary and insufficient, the priesthood and sacrifice of Jesus is eternal and all-sufficient. So tonight I want us to look at just five verses together and see the all-sufficient sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, verses 10 through 14 is where we will focus our attention in the moments ahead. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10, let me read it for us. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made for his, a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This is the word of God. Let me pray for us. Lord, there is real reason for rejoicing tonight, even as we contemplate the sadness of your crucifixion, we can't help but rejoice in the effect that it had and the real spiritual benefits that have come to us as a result. And so it is with a mix of emotion that we call this Good Friday. It is with sorrow, it is with sadness, it is with grief, and yet it is with joy, knowing what this day has brought to us. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, and pray that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things from your law. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare our hearts this evening to take 
communion together, I want us to see four proofs that Christ's sacrifice was all sufficient. Four proofs that Christ's sacrifice was all sufficient. The first proof is that it was spiritually sufficient. That Christ's sacrifice made us perfectly and eternally holy. What does one need to do to have peace with God? What does one need to accomplish in life to have peace with God? Well, you could never accomplish it on your own. But what you and I lack, Jesus accomplished fully and perfectly on the cross. The author of Hebrews states in verse 10 that by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. The will that brought about this sacrifice of Jesus Christ was God's will. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the cross. By God's will, Christ was offered up as a sacrifice for sinners, for you and I. And the result of this sacrifice is that sinners have been sanctified. Now that's good news, folks. Sinners have been sanctified. The word sanctified means holy. Sinners have been made holy. So to be sanctified is to be made holy. Sanctification or holiness, when applied to the Christian, can have two different senses. There's a positional sense and there's a practical sense of holiness or sanctification. The positional sense of holiness refers to the believer's standing before God. Relationship to God. The person who has faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross has been justified by God, declared righteous in God's sights. That is, his standing before God has been made right. He is holy in God's eyes because of the righteous sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So our positional holiness is the first sense in which the word sanctified is sometimes used. The second way in which sanctified is used speaks to our practical holiness. It's our ongoing battle against sin and our gradual growth in Christ-likeness in our daily experience as Christians. We often refer to it as progressive sanctification. It's something you grow in. It's something that you take three steps forward and maybe two steps back and another three steps forward during this life. That is practical sanctification. So there are two ways to speak of this sanctification. Positional sanctification, practical sanctification. Which one is being referred to here in Hebrews 4.10? It is the positional sanctification that is in view. Verse 14 makes this explicit. Look there, Hebrews 10.14. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. By the one offering of Jesus... He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. This is speaking of our positional sanctification, our positional holiness, our status before God has gone from being a sinner to a saint. From being a holy terror to being a holy one. Through the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ, we have been sanctified, made holy in God's sight. This positional sanctification can't be improved upon. 
You can't improve upon your position before God if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? It is a status and a standing before God that is complete and total. It is irreversible and that it is also eternal. When we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, we're declared righteous in God's sight and our status is forever changed. From guilt to innocence, from hell-bound rebel to heaven-bound royalty. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is spiritually sufficient to meet our every spiritual need. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, believing sinners have been sanctified. The spiritually filthy have been made clean. The spiritually broken have been made whole. The spiritually blind have been given sight. The spiritually dead have been given life. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us has made us perfectly and eternally holy in our standing before God. And nothing can ever change that. Christ's sacrifice is an all-sufficient sacrifice, providing all that is necessary for you and I to be holy before a holy God. All other means of seeking peace with God, of seeking a right relationship with God, of seeking a right standing before God are insufficient. They won't get you there. They won't do the job. Even animal sacrifice... Israel knew a lot about animal sacrifice. Look with me at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. The author of Hebrews says, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You know what else is impossible to take away sin? Everything but the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It is impossible for bulls and goats to take away sin. It's impossible for church attendance to take away sin. It's impossible for good deeds to take away sin. Animal blood can't take away the stain of human sin. Nor can your good deeds. The Bible says that all of our good deeds are like filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. Even our best days and our best deeds are still stained by sin, corrupted by our fallenness. All other efforts to be right with God are therefore insufficient. They can't save us, but the sacrifice of Jesus is all sufficient to meet our every need and secure our peace with God. I wonder tonight... Do you have peace with God? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? 
Do you know that you've been given eternal life? Do you know that for sure? You can know for sure. God in His grace offers to you salvation, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life by trusting in His Son who paid the all-sufficient spiritual sacrifice for your sins and mine. And what the blood of bulls and goats could never do, what your good deeds could never do, what your church attendance could never do, what your citizenship on this earth could never do, Jesus Christ has done fully. He has provided for your forgiveness so that Jesus could stand in our place before a holy God. And when God looks at us, he sees the very righteousness of his own son, Jesus Christ. If you're not sure that you have that status before God, that you are among the holy before God in terms of standing, you can be sure tonight by trusting in Jesus Christ alone. And I urge you to do that. Don't wait for it. Don't, don't say, I'll, have, I'll do that later on in life. You're not guaranteed another moment on this earth. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. So I urge you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. So first of all, we see that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is spiritually sufficient. Provides for our every need before a holy God. Next, we see that it is qualitatively sufficient. Because Christ's sacrifice was once for all time. Look with me at the emphasis in this passage on the once for all nature of Jesus' sacrifice compared to the repetitive nature of animal sacrifice. Hebrews 10.10 again, By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for the sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. The author of Hebrews here is contrasting the all-sufficient sacrifice of Christ with the insufficient animal sacrifices prescribed in the Old Covenant and the Mosaic Law. Animal after animal was sacrificed. As there was a mountain of sins committed by the Israelites, so there have had to have been a corresponding mountain of dead animals sacrificed for those sins. Just to give you a sense of how many animals were involved in this, at the dedication of Solomon's temple alone, about 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep were sacrificed over a two-week period. That's a total of about 142,000 animals sacrificed in the space of just two weeks. That's a lot of animals. And that's just a drop in the bucket when you consider the daily sacrifices that went on year after year after year for centuries. 
Given the inadequate nature of animal sacrifice, the priests of the Old Covenant had to stand daily and offer over and over again the same sacrifice, which could never take away sins, as verse 11 says. This repetition is seen in stark contrast with the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 12. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. One sacrifice for the sins of all time. One and done. The animal sacrifices were but a shadow of the greater sacrifice that was to come. The Lord Jesus, the sacrifice for our sins. Colossians 2.17 says the things of the old covenant were a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. They were, these old covenant sacrifices were merely pointing forward to a greater sacrifice, the fulfillment of all the sacrifices. The animal sacrifices of the Old Covenant had to be repeated day by day by day. But not so the sacrifice of Christ. Having laid down his life as a sacrifice for sin, his work was finished. And he said as much right from the cross, right? To Telestai. It is finished. Job complete. It is a qualitative sufficiency. It's a quality unlike any other sacrifice that's ever gone before or ever happened since. Thirdly, notice that it's demonstrably sufficient from this passage. It's demonstrably sufficient. Christ's sacrifice was all sufficient as demonstrated by his post-ascension posture. Look again with me at verse 12, Hebrews 10, 12. But he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus, having offered that one sacrifice, which of course was himself, he sat down at God's right hand. A quote from Psalm 110. Notice that Jesus here is both priest and sacrifice. He's the one dying and he's the one doing the sacrificing. He is the lamb who was slain. And he's laying his own life down. No man took it from him, but he laid it down of his own initiative. Notice also what Jesus, our great high priest and sacrifice, did after he made the sacrifice. He sat down. Now, old covenant priests never sat. God prescribed the furniture that was to be in the temple, and there were no priestly seats. There was no sitting down, there was no resting. There were no holy stools or holy chairs or holy benches prescribed for the temple. They didn't have time to sit. There were too many sacrifices and so little time. Again, Hebrews 10, 11, every priest stands daily 
ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Jabba the priest was never finished. For each new day would bring with it new offenses, new sins, and therefore the necessity for more and more sacrifice. Old covenant priests never sat. But that's precisely what Jesus did after he finished his sacrifice. He sat down. This is a reminder of how the book of Hebrews begins. The book of Hebrews begins with Jesus seated. Jesus, who is greater than angels, greater than Moses, whose covenant is greater than the old covenant, is pictured from the very outset of this book as sitting. Turn back with me to Hebrews 1.3, just quickly. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now back to Hebrews 10. Jesus, our great high priest, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down. The job was done and the proof that the job of sacrifice was done is seen in the fact that our great high priest sat down. No more sacrifices. No more sacrificing. The work of atonement was finished. And that is the very place that Jesus is today. And he is still seated. Seated at God's right hand. The seat of honor. The seat of power. The seat of authority. Jesus' sacrifice is all sufficient. And this is demonstrated and proven by the fact that he sat down. That he is seated. And the glorious truth is that Ephesians 2.6 tells us that we are seated with him in the heavenly places. You want to grasp that for a second? Don't rush off onto the next thought. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and we spiritually in union with Him are seated with Him in the heavenlies. If we're seated with Him, where are we seated? At God's right hand, the, ha- at the seat of power, honor, and authority? Are you kidding Such is the sufficient sacrifice of Jesus. He sat down and now we sit down with him. Our work is done. Our toil is over. No more sacrifice needed. No searching for atonement. No seeking of redemption is necessary. Sit And relax with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. What a glorious salvation. What an all-sufficient sacrifice. He sits, for it is finished. He sits. And those who have faith in Jesus sit with Him. Fourthly and finally, 
The sacrifice of Jesus is strategically sufficient. Christ's sacrifice guaranteed his enemies' future and final demise. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Can I get an amen from you tonight? Thank you. That's good news, brothers and sisters. That's why it's Good Friday. Look with me at verse 13. Hebrews 10, 13. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting from the time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. Jesus is seated at God's right hand, that place of honor, power, and authority. Now it's just a matter of time. I said it's just a matter of time. Whoa. We might have a revival here. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time until all of Christ's enemies are made a footstool for his feet. The enemies are pictured as a footstool, a position of total subjugation, total humiliation, complete defeat. Philippians 2, 8 through 11 describes this coming day, even as it looks back upon Christ's humble incarnation and substitutionary death. Philippians 2.8 says, Being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, all Christ's enemies will be vanquished and finally defeated. The enemy of sin, the enemy of unrepentant sinners, of sickness, of Satan, all will be brought into subjection. And even death will meet its final demise. Listen to how Paul describes the great end toward which all things are headed in 1 Corinthians 15. 24 through 26, then comes the end, Paul says, when he, Jesus, hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that will be abolished is death. Death is an intruder. Death is going to find that it will one day be totally defeated. It will be made a footstool for our Lord and King Jesus Christ. Similarly, the Apostle John describes the scene in heaven at the consummation of Christ's second coming. In Revelation eleven fifteen. he says, There were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. The cross of Jesus Christ forever secured his kingship over all. 
Satan thought that in that moment he had scored a great victory, but he had slit his own throat. He had ensured his own defeat. This is the all-sufficient sacrifice of Christ. Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, risen, and coming again in victory one day. Do you know him? Are you seated with him in the heavenly places? Do you know that for sure? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ alone and his all-sufficient sacrifice for sin? If not, confess your sins and trust in him today. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. But if you have, you've already done that. And it's not a hope-so kind of faith, but it's a no-so kind of faith. If so, then brothers and sisters, rest and rejoice. Rest and rejoice, knowing that you are seated with Him in the heavenly places, knowing that He is seated and the sacrifice is done, knowing that the search for peace with God is over and secure in Jesus Christ. Rest and rejoice in the all-sufficient sacrifice of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we remember Calvary, Golgotha, the place of the skull, the place of death, the place where criminals were sent to die a very public, humiliating, ghastly death. We remember you there on that cross between two thieves. We remember you, the sinless one, the Son of God and the Son of Man, truly God and truly man. We remember you lifted up on that cross hanging between heaven and earth, suspended between a holy God and sinful mankind and bridging the gap that we could never bridge, making a way for us, securing a position for us that we could never secure on our own. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice and faithfulness. And we remember you around your table. We thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.